in John 15, um, Jesus is in the middle of, of giving his, his final teachings, his final discourse, if you will, uh, to his disciples before going to the cross. And part of that, um, he says, that greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Um, which sums up what Jesus was about to do in going to the cross, but it also uh, sums up what we celebrate this weekend. Uh, we celebrate those that have given their lives um, for their friends and for a good number of people that they never met. Um, and so in that spirit of thanksgiving, let us go to God in prayer. Almighty and all-loving God, We gather today as a people to worship you, to worship you in freedom, to worship you in safety. And God, we know that that is a gift we have received, and that is a grace to us. We know that coming here to worship you today is made possible because of other people. It's made possible because of the sacrifice that your son made. That your, that your son, Jesus Christ, went to the cross in order to redeem and restore our relationship with you. It's because of the sacrifice of the martyrs in the church. The disciples, the apostles, the faithful Christians who died for their faith and passed it down to us. And it's possible because we live in a place where we can worship you in freedom. That's a freedom that was earned. That's a freedom that has been protected. So God, we are also thankful for the men and women who have given their lives in service to that idea, to that freedom. We thank you for, for creating, for stirring up love for a people and for a place and for an idea that they would sign up and pledge their lives to protecting it. And we are so thankful that your great love has been poured out on this world. That we can know you. We can be in relationship with you and we can come here and worship you and have our lives transformed by you. God, we gather this day because of what you do in this world. And so as we turn to your word, read and proclaimed, we ask that you speak to us, that you speak to our hearts and that you give us eyes to see you and ears to hear you. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I know that a lot of times, perhaps too many times, I begin sermons by telling cute stories about my son Patrick. And he gives me a lot of material. He's a good, sweet boy who knows far too many words for his own good. And he brings a lot of smiles to me and, and, and laughs to me and to my family. But I might unknowingly be painting a false picture of life in my family. Because Patrick is three. And he is every bit three. 
including the terrible parts. Recently, my wife and I have entered into a new category of parenting when we have been struggling with a child who, from time to time, refuses to listen to us. Parents, you know this phase well. And it is so frustrating to try to get through to a child who refuses to listen. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> a few weeks ago, my wife was trying to get Patrick to go upstairs to take a nap. And Patrick said no. I don't need a nap, mommy. And my wife tried a couple times to get him to listen, which led to a tantrum from him, which demonstrated that he did, in fact, need a nap. Finally, this whole thing ended, well, it ended with him taking a nap, but this episode climaxed with Patrick shouting to Emily, I am not going to listen to you, mommy. Life is fun. <laughs> Today's scripture lesson is all about obedience. Obedience comes from the Latin ob, to, and audire, to, to listen. So being obedient literally means to listen to someone. And it's a topic close to my heart because I spend much of my day pleading with a three-year-old to listen to me and to be a good listener. Sometimes I just settle for looking at me while I speak to you. Today's scripture lesson closes the Sermon on the Mount and brings to a close our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus finishes his sermon by talking about being obedient. He finishes his sermon with a call to action. Because as we all know, and as I am so clearly finding out in my own life, there is a difference between hearing words and putting instructions into action. Oliver Wendell Holmes is supposed to have said, most people are willing to take the Sermon on the Mount as a flag to sail under, but few will use it as a rudder by which to steer. There are a lot of people that love the gist of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, who love the spirit of it, but balk at actually following it in their day-to-day -day lives. We love the idea of blessed are the poor in spirit, until we are called to actually bless the poor in a way that would change their lives. We love the idea of loving our enemies until it is pointed out to us exactly who our enemy is. We love the idea of turn the other cheek until someone actually hits us. But being obedient means really listening to Jesus. It means putting into practice the words he says. It means seeing the Sermon on the Mount as a roadmap for how to live a righteous life, which is a point Jesus makes very clear in his final words of the sermon. We are in Matthew 7. It'll be, ooh, look at that. It's already up on the beautiful screen behind me. It's printed in your lifeline, and uh, it's in the Bible, I promise. And if you would like a Bible and don't have one, we have them available on our welcome table. Feel free to take one home. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew 
and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Now before getting into, into it and breaking down what's going on here, I gotta give some props to Jesus for the way he totally mic-dropped the ending of the sermon. If I've learned anything about preaching, it's that how you end is really important, and Jesus kills it. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Boom goes the dynamite. But within this section, there are three major movements. Jesus talks about those who cry, Lord, Lord, but have no place in Jesus' kingdom. There's the parable of the two builders, and there's the crowd's response to the sermon. And these three movements might create some narrative confusion. First, Jesus is talking about entering the kingdom of heaven, which is usually talk of eschatology, about what happens at the end of time or in the fullness of time, that great by and by. Then Jesus is talking about building a house and equating it to people who do or don't put his words into practice in the here and now. So is this text about entering the kingdom? Or is it about how we live today? Is it about some future then? Or is it about the present now? Funny enough, Jesus doesn't seem to think there's much of a distinction between the two. At least not as much of a distinction as we seem to make. And funny enough, the Bible doesn't seem to put a firewall between the two either. In Deuteronomy 11, God tells the Israelites to put the words of the law on their heart and soul, bind them on your hand and forehead, teach them to your children, write them on the doorposts of your house. And then God says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey my commandments and the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. The blessings and the curses had to do with the land that God would give Israel, which itself carries a now and not yet quality. Israel believed that occupying the land was about both today and the great by and by. So this passage of Deuteronomy says that what we do here and now has implications on what will happen then and there. We see this again in the first psalm. Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields fruit, its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. 
Again, we see some connections between what we do here and now and what will happen in the future. Trees planted in water will yield fruit in the future. Those who do wicked will not stand in the judgment. Sinners will not be in the assembly of the righteous. These are future claims. What we see a number of times in the Old Testament is that here and now and there and then are connected for the writers of the Bible. So when we look at the first part of Jesus' teaching this morning, we should keep this in mind. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. These words seem harsh. These words admittedly strike fear in my heart. As someone who is a follower of Jesus, as someone who cries out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, I read and hear these words with fear and trembling. But this isn't about a great, a great switcheroo. Great switcheroo, great switcheroo. It's tough. This isn't meant to give us worry or doubt. But it is meant to ensure that we understand what it means to call out to Jesus, Lord, Lord. One of the early Christian claims was that Jesus is Lord. This functioned in two ways. We see all the time in the Old Testament that God refers to himself using the phrase, Lord, your God. Lord, and if you ever see it in the Bibles in that uh, small caps, uh, is an oblique reference to the Tetragrammaton, which is the name of God that Jewish people could not utter for fear of taking it in vain. So when the early Christians said that Jesus is Lord, what they were saying was, in part, Jesus is God. Jesus is, in some mysterious way, a human being that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now the second way this functioned was in relation to the Roman Empire the occupying force over the Mediterranean world. There was a familiar phrase that was said about the emperor, Caesar is Lord. So when the early Christians said Jesus is Lord, what they meant was Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not. When we think of Lord in this way, it becomes clear what we are talking about. If Jesus is Lord, that means we have to follow his commands. We have to do what he tells us to do. We get this when it comes to a claim like Caesar is Lord. Somehow we don't quite get it when it comes to Jesus. If you're a Roman citizen, it's not enough to say, to just say, Caesar is Lord. It's not enough to work and carry out duties in the name of Caesar. If you're not following the laws of Caesar, if you disobey Caesar, you will get yourself in trouble. And by in trouble, I mean killed, because that's what the Romans did. Or exiled, sometimes they did that, when they were feeling extra nice. You have to follow the commands, the laws, the dictates of Caesar. If Jesus is Lord and Caesar isn't, it's not enough for us to just say that. It's not enough for us to passionately sing worship songs. It's not enough for us to make utterances with our lips or even do singular acts of service in Jesus' name. 
if we aren't following his teachings, if we aren't doing the things he said to do, is Jesus really our Lord? Which is how and why Jesus can pivot so quickly to talking about building a house and fashioning a life on his teachings. Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now I know you all want to do it, so sing it with me. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And I don't know anything else after that. So I'm sorry. <laughs> Apparently like this. The rains came down. <laughs> yes, now that will be in your head for the rest of the weekend. Sorry, not sorry. So Jesus says that we need to put his teachings into practice in order to build our lives on a foundation that will remain. If we are to enter into the kingdom of heaven, we need not only to say that he is our Lord, but we have to serve him as our Lord. Only then will we be able to withstand the storms and surges of life. Now this can get a little tricky. Because it doesn't mean that life is going to magically work out for those who follow Jesus' teachings. It doesn't mean that those who follow Jesus' teachings will be free from misfortune. It doesn't mean that those who follow Jesus' teachings will be free from suffering. In fact, like Jesus himself, we should probably expect suffering. Here's the thing about it, though. Jesus never said we shouldn't expect to face storms. Jesus says, the rains came. Not if it comes. Not even when it comes. It just comes. Because that's what happens in the climate of this story and it's what happens in the context of our lives. The rain comes. The suffering comes. The diagnosis comes. The tragedy comes. Just as sure as May will bring a crushing capital's defeat, <laughs> the rain comes. I'm still not over it. So following Jesus' teachings aren't a way to get out of suffering. They aren't a way to skate through life scot-free. They aren't a get-out-of-bad-stuff-free card. But following Jesus' teachings give us something more, something deeper, something more important. There are two types of achievements in life. There are CV achievements, resume achievements. There are things you can stack up, things you can put into a list that if you get enough of them, you're declared successful. Getting into college, getting into a good college, getting a good job, promotions, investments. And there are a number of ways to gain CV achievements. But then there are eulogy achievements. These aren't things that make you materially successful. These aren't things you'd put on a resume. Instead, they're things people know you for, like really know you for. They're things people will talk about at your funeral. She was so loving. She was so gracious. She was so generous. You can spend your life devoted to CV achievements. 
You can spend your life getting promotions, honors, distinctions, degrees. You can accumulate things and wealth. You can invest. You can have all of these CV achievements and have people look at you as a success. But at some point, rain is going to come. Whether that's some sort of loss or whether it's in the end, we all are going to die. And when that happens, you'll find that the CV is a house built on sand. Because it all goes away. It all goes back in the box. The wealth and the things can be passed down to your children. But what will be the lasting memory of you? Following the teachings of Jesus gets you eulogy virtues. They help get us eulogy achievements. They help teach us to be generous, gracious, loving, charitable. They help us build our lives on things that will make lasting impressions. So that when we get to the end of our lives, when we get to our deathbeds, even as we face storms before that, we will be proud that our lives are built on things that last. Things that are eternal. Things that continue to mean something even as our lives pass away. And this is where Jesus ends his sermon. In calling us to build our lives on a foundation that will remain even through all the storms of life. And the crowd was amazed at his teaching. Scripture tells us that those who heard Jesus teach said he spoke with authority. We've called this sermon series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, I Literally Can't Even. And that was cute and funny for a couple of weeks. Then I might have driven the joke into the ground. I definitely drove the choke into the ground. But it's really ironic in a couple of ways to name this sermon series, I Literally Can't Even. It's first ironic because if Jesus speaks with authority, and if Jesus really is our Lord, then if we respond by saying, I literally can't even, we are exactly like the people Jesus mentions at the beginning of this section who have no part in the kingdom. Jesus makes it possible for us to can even, and if he is our Lord, then we have to do our best to live out his commands. The second irony is related to this teaching with authority. Jesus teaches with authority in that he provides a good and true interpretation of Torah. <clears throat> teaching with authority was a rabbinic term that was a designation for rabbis who gave the best interpretations of Torah. But I think there's more to it than that. I think Jesus spoke with authority because he spoke with authenticity. Jesus was not teaching one thing and living another way. Jesus didn't tell his followers to turn the other cheek and then go from there and get into a fight. Jesus said all this and then he lived it out. Jesus says the point of the sermon is to go and do these things Jesus says to do. And then Jesus goes and does the things he said to do. So calling this series, I literally can't even, is kind of the antithesis of authenticity. Preaching on these texts saying, I can't do what I'm preaching, is the antithesis of authenticity. But then again, so is watering down the words of Jesus. So here we are, stuck. Stuck with having to go authentically live out the words and teachings of Jesus. As we close this series, we are left with the ultimate challenge. We are left with the ultimate call. We are left with the ultimate question. 
Jesus tells us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The way we do that is by following Jesus with authority in a hurting world and following Jesus with authenticity in a hurting world. Will you go forth and live according to the teachings of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Will you go forth and authentically serve Jesus as your Lord? Will you go forth and build your life on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ? Let us pray.